It is uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord on the Lord's day. Amen. Now, I hope you brought your Bibles this morning. We are going to be using it. So if you have your Bibles with you today, why don't you open them up to Acts. And we're going to begin in chapter 4, verse 32. And we're going to be going down through chapter 5 into to verse 11. That's what we're going to be covering this morning. Um, I want to read the text, and then we're going to pray, and then we are going to get into the word of the Lord. Beginning at verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias, Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart and have not lied to man but to God? When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And when the young men came in and found her dead, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Father, this morning, as we have gathered together, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you that we're able to do this freely, that that we're not uh, threatened or persecuted to meet in the name of Christ like so many of our brethren throughout this world are. But, Lord, help us to, to realize the, the blessing and the privilege that we have as your people, just to be able to do this, that we can freely preach and proclaim your word at this time, Lord, without fear of imprisonment or death or anything like that. So, Lord, as your word goes forth, God, open our hearts. 
Open our eyes to see clearly, God, what we may not be seeing. Give us ears to hear, Father. And I pray that in all these things you would get glory for yourself, that your word would be proclaimed, and that Christ would be magnified. Amen. Well, there's three things that we're going to be looking at today, but I want to start with this. One thing, we always need to go back, because it feels like it's been a while since I've preached. I don't know exactly why it feels like that, maybe because we had five Sundays last month, but we need to know this. In Acts 1.1, the scripture says this, it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now, what is the book of Acts? It is not like Jesus lived his life and it ended and now we're... No, this is a continuation of everything that Jesus is doing and everything that he has taught. How does, how does this happen? Well, Jesus told him, he says, I'm going to go away, but the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and he's going to teach you and lead you and guide you into all truth. And so the book of Acts is really a book of the work of the Holy Spirit through God's people. And that's what we're going to pick up on in here. Also, the book of Acts is it's a book of firsts, obviously, since the church on the day of Pentecost, it sprung into life, if you want to look at it that way. And so we, we see like the first sermon, we see the first converts from that first sermon, we, we see the first healing in the book of Acts. And in chapter 4, we saw the first time that the church was persecuted with just simply threats. Okay? Now, in this section that we're looking at today, there's going to be three points of emphasis that I'm going to try to bring out. One is this. We have an enemy and we are going to be under spiritual attack. Does everybody in here realize that, that... We have an adversary, the devil, right? And if you're trial-free, if you're not under attack, I really don't know who you are today. Everyone in here, and collectively as a body, we are under the attack of Satan constantly. Now, we may not, it may be quiet at times, it may not be able to see these things maneuvering, but make no mistake, as we preach the Word of God and as we try to to further the gospel and, and further the kingdom of God, the attacks of Satan are going to become very, very real in our lives individually and as a church. The first thing is spiritual attack. The second one is, and this could be the title of the sermon, are you filled with the Spirit or are you? has Satan filled your heart? We're going to be looking at that and contrasting that. And the third thing we're going to be looking at is God's divine judgment on sin. So, first of all, we're going to start with this. When it comes to spiritual attack, there's really two ways that Satan attacks the church of Jesus Christ. One is outside the body. Okay? He's going to attack how, just like in chapter 4, and we're going to back up and read a little bit of this. But he's going to attack, he's going to use persecution. He's going to use things like that to try to what? His goal is to stop the work of Christ. Christ has fulfilled everything he was going to do in bodily form. He is on the right hand of the Father. Satan cannot personally attack Christ. He can't 
personally tempt Christ like he did in the wilderness. So what's his attention now? Well, his attention is the body of Christ. It is the church. And so whatever he can do to stop the church from doing what they've been called to do, that's where he's going to attack. Now, the second way that Satan attacks is from within the body. And we're going to take a real good look at that this morning. So, first of all, though, we want to look at at what it is when Satan attacks outside the church. Okay? So, if you would, take your Bibles and let's just back up. And let's, I'm going to do a little refresher. It's amazing how that when one guy being healed, we have spent this much time dealing with it. But what has happened is a man came just to simply beg money. Peter and John came simply to pray. They met at a divine appointment. Right there at the same place, a guy reaches out his hand and says, you got a little change you can spare? Peter says, look at me. Rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. And from that, what do we get? We see the Sanhedrin. We see the leaders of the Jews persecute the church. Let me just pick up in this. In, in verse 15 of, of chapter 4, now he's talk, this is the council. Is this thing just too close to me or what? It says, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For a notable sign has been performed through them as evident to all and the, and the, to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. That's just an amazing verse in itself. I mean, they see a notable miracle. You would think that would say, hey, maybe we're wrong. We ought to take a look at... No, they, they don't want to take a look at who Jesus may have really been. They want to get rid of him and get rid of his disciples. So here's what they said. They said, but in order that it would not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Okay. And you look down at verse 21 and it says, and when they had further threatened them, They let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. Now, here's what persecution outside the body does. We read that once this happened, now, and you've got to understand something. This wasn't simply that thing, you know, where, now you listen here, you better not do that no more. You know, it's not that. They were threatening them with punishment. Severe punishment. They were threatening them with imprisonment. Okay? It wasn't just some mild, hey, you better stop that or else. No, they they were, it was a threat. If it happened to us, a lot of you would, me, maybe, we would just be shaking at the knees. But what does that outside persecution, what does the outside attack do to the body of Christ? It brings the body together in unity. Look at what happened. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends. They reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices, what? Together to God. And then what ensues right after that is they are praising God. They are praying to God. They're saying, Lord, listen to their threats. Lord, give us an ability, give us power to continue But what we see chiefly is this. When the body of Christ is being persecuted, being threatened from the outside, 
The true body of Christ comes together in unity. They come together in solidarity. And what are they doing? Praising God. They're praying to God. And they're continuing to preach the word of God. They're proclaiming the gospel. Okay? So that's the first thing we look at. Now, what does that lead into? Well, let me pick up in verse 31. This is the end of that section I was just referring to. It says, when they had prayed, the place which they were gathered together was shaken. Now, listen to this. And they were all filled with. The Holy Spirit. And they continue to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, the church, I want you to know something. There, there are no perfect churches. Okay? Now, I love our church. Are we perfect? No. Do we have a perfect building? Absolutely no. In a minute, I'm going to have to stop because we've got a train that's going to come by. And I can't preach louder than that guy. Okay? Or that guy's horn. But here's the thing. I want to show you something of what a church looks like when a church is dwelling together, when they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, first of all, there's a lot of questions that come from this. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, what, what it means is, is to be completely yielded to something, to, to be completely yielded to the Spirit of God. Or it means to be controlled by now. That control is not like, not like the, the charismatic stuff where I've had young men tell me and I was, the, the Spirit had such power over me, I was laying on the floor, I couldn't get up, but all I could do was laugh for two hours. Okay, that is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about looks like this. We always want to go to the Word of God to see what it looks like. Now, in verse 32, listen to what it says. It says, now the full number... Of those who believed. Now keep in mind, we've got about 5,000, maybe 10,000 believers at this time. Okay? And it says the full number of those that who believed were, uh, listen, of one heart and soul. We're talking about unity here. We're talking about a solidarity in the body of Christ. We're not talking about 50 or 60 or 70, whatever we may have in our church. We're talking thousands of Christians, and they are of one heart and one soul. Now, let me tell you what this is, and I want to be brief because I could go on for days. Lynn, this isn't a solidarity. This isn't a unity about our church has been fighting a war over the paint color on the, on the walls in the bathroom. Some of them women are wanting pink in the men's bathroom. And we want blue. But I'm controlled by the Spirit. I'll go with pink. The blades are going, it doesn't matter to us. That's not the war that we are waging, church. What is the commission of the church? Why did they get in trouble? What were the threats about? They're actively proclaiming the gospel of Christ. 
That's what they're doing. It's not about whether we have the right programs for your children, whether we have the right adult classes for you as an adult. It's, that's, not, that's not what the unity is about. But let me tell you something, the reality of this. I have seen churches split over the color of paint versus paneling. I've seen churches split and there's wars. Have you ever been in a church where there's no unity? You can feel the tension when you walk in. Even if you're a visitor, something. I was in, I had a guy come fly out from Arkansas, pick me up at the Ada airport, fly me back to Arkansas to preach one Sunday. I get there now, I'm, I'm going to be preaching in a few minutes and, and I see the worship team. All gathered around. There's about four or five ladies, and they're over here gathered. And they're, I mean, they all got their arms like this. Looked like a lot of unity. Problem was, there was this one or two women over here that they didn't let in the prayer to start worship because they were at odds with one another. Now, if you thought that was bad enough, when I called it out from the pulpit, it got even better. I said, you want to talk about trying to worship the Lord and you don't even let people pray together? You see, that, that's what happens. But look at this. They were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, let me make one thing very clear. This verse is not talking about this idea, this social justice, how we should just all put all of our stuff in a pile and we're all just equal. That's not. Let me, let, you need to understand something. They weren't commanded to do anything at this point. If you go in and read, it's going to talk about how that, that, that there was nobody that was needy, people that had lands, they sold it, they, or houses, they sold, they brought the money to the apostles. The apostles distributed as each one had need. Listen, this is not a, an order from the government. This is not a command of the apostles to do this. This is a lead, a leading of the Holy Spirit in unity, looking around because why they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They have, they are completely yielded to the Spirit of God. And they're saying this, they're saying, so-and-so over there, I know they're in need. I've got this. You know what? I don't need this as much as they need this. I'm going to sell it. Let's help them. There was a... I mean, can you imagine what that is like? The things that they... What you see in this is they had one heart and one soul. In verse 33, there's great power. Listen to what it says. With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Now, what were they told specifically not to be teach? Don't you teach this Jesus. Don't you teach that he's alive. But it says, it says with great power, they were giving their testimony. They were not only preaching the gospel, they said, we were eyewitnesses. I'm telling you, Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. And it says, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. We see, I'll just finish the passage here. 
it says that those that owned lands or houses, they sold them. They brought the proceeds of what was sold, laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Oh, church. Now, how did this come about, though? It started with the church being persecuted. Let me tell you something. You can be in a family. Husband and wife got your children and man, kids are fighting and just, you know, going back and forth. And but you, you take some tragic thing in that family and all of that stuff stops. I like to tease Travis. Travis is. He'll he'll know what it is. We was doing our bot we was doing our teaching over there in the contenders class and they told me the girls told him, they said, Hey yeah, man, Andy, he was trying to get the last piece of pizza and Travis takes it. Okay? So I'm all the time talking to Andy, I'm like, Hey man, did you get some pizza tonight? And Andy's gotten quicker. But let me back you up a few years ago. When Andy was a very sick little boy, there was none of that squabbling, was there? Because outside attack brings the body together. All of that stuff goes away. We see unity. We see harmony. We see a care for one another in the body of Christ. Let me just read some scriptures, some passages of scriptures. Look in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll try to be brief about this. I know some of these are long, but I'm going to... Try to weed it down, just cut down to things I just want to focus on. Listen to this. In chapter 4, beginning of verse 1, Paul says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called. Okay? Now that word worthy, in the Greek, I'm going to pronounce it the best I can, axios, axios. It's like a balancing scale. It's like saying this in light Christian is of what has been done on your behalf by Christ. Walk in a way that reflects that. You don't just stumble into unity. You just don't stumble into peace with one another. It is a conscience, conscious effort on your part. To be in the Word of God. To get your mind in the Word of God. That you're not acting upon your feelings and things like that. But you're saying, I'm going to love my brethren the way that God has loved me. And what do we see come out of that? Well, first he says, how do we do it? He says, with all humility and gentleness with patience, with bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Does that catch anybody short here today? Just take humility. Do you really think that you're the lowest here today? I bet there's nobody that would honestly say that. And you would be appalled if I told you who I thought you were lower than. You think, you think he's better than me? Now, we, none of us are going to say I'm the top tier guy. We're way too humble for that, right? Maybe in the top 75% where I'm at. That's a good, you know, you don't want to be lower than that. 
Nobody wants to be the middle child, right? You don't want to be the 50%. No, humility. He says, he says, with gentleness, patience. You know what the problem with patience and brethren are? We know each other too well. You guys are getting on my nerves so much. You, I mean, you know, like, you know, as a kid, my mom said, hey, my patience has run out with you. Does a Christian really get to do that? No, that's actually when patience is really real or not in your life. You don't get to be the guy that decides when I, I don't have patience no more. That may be true, but you don't get to decide that. It's called you are in sin. Bearing with one another, not just bearing with one another. Sam, I'll come along and help you. No, he says bearing with one another in love. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's what we're called to do. Look look in Colossians chapter 3. Real quick. The first part of chapter 3 in Colossians talks about being raised with Christ, setting your mind, your affection on the things above, and then putting to death all of these things that are in your life that would be of the flesh, okay? And then we get down to verse 12, and this is what he says. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones. That's you as a believer. And then he says, you are holy and beloved. He says, put on this compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And again, he says, bearing with one another. Oh, and he says, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must do. How many of you are hanging on to unforgiveness towards somebody? How many of you are sitting here today, and it's not that, you know, there's anything really heated going on in your relationship with somebody else, but you've just been hanging on to this little tinge of bitterness for a while now. I want to ask you a question. Do you think or not think that that affects the body? You see, the problem with sin is this. It's the old throw a rock into a a pond on a cool day. I mean, a nice day, no wind. You ever seen that surface when it looks like glass? You can get on one side and it's just like a mirror reflection of whatever's above it on the other side. And then there's that kid. He takes a rock and he throws it out there. Well, it doesn't just make a splash right there and then it's it. No, it makes a splash and then ripples go all the way out. It affects the entire surface of the body of water. If you are going to actively pursue sin, even though you think it isn't affecting anyone but you, you are badly mistaken. It is affecting this body right here. Okay? You need to know that. So, what's the summary? Let me just say, let me, let me read one more thing. I was going to read a couple more, but I'm, I'm way too, I've got way too much to say. Now, one thing about unity is this. Unity isn't just about you. Like, me and Jesus got our own thing going. Remember that old country song, that country gospel song? That's the guy that don't want to go to church. He wants to go fishing on Sunday morning, and let's just sing a song about it, and 
That's a lot of guys' favorite gospel song. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. We got our own thing worked out. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, here's the way it actually goes. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, he says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, now listen, count Others more significant than yourself. We just went to this conference. And I was a little confused about one thing. One of the men there that led the singing. He's preached here for us. He was a good preacher. He didn't didn't speak in any of the talks. He didn't do that. He, He simply... We got some wonderful visitors just walked in, my mom and dad. So that's awesome. So here's the thing. He he didn't he didn't even participate in the QA. But if I was going to give this guy a name, I would take the name Barnabas and I would say, Your name is Barnabas. This guy selflessly serves. He, he enthusiastically, in the, in the sweetest way, he's always glad you're there in any way, capacity. Let me tell you how he wound up at the church he's in. He was pastoring a church, living in a parsonage, and felt the call of God on his life to move to Cash, Oklahoma. Called Pastor Jay Jones and said, I feel God is leading us to your church. Jay knows it. Philip is a preacher. And Jay says, we have no way to support you at all. There's no way possible. Philip says, God is leading and he goes and serves. He goes and gets a job working full time at Chick-fil-A. And I'd almost be willing to bet he's the friendliest guy there. He just serves No spotlight. He counts others better than himself. You want to know how unity works in a church? You get that mind in your brain, and that's how it's going to work. You start looking around, and you start start counting others. Man, give them the honor. Let him be blessed. In the truth of it, though, isn't that so hard for us to do? I mean, we do it a little bit, and then we want it to flip around and somebody honor us, right? Because we've been honoring, but it's, it's my turn somewhere in here, right? I hear people say sometimes, oh, I've got a servant's heart. Well, the very fact you said that probably means you don't. If you want to know if you have a servant's heart, see how you react when you're treated like a servant. Servants, they're not supposed to get a pat on the back. They're not supposed to get a a thank you. They're servants. So if you really want to know. Now I want to say something else too real quick. I know I get really fired up and I get passionate. I am not angry. My wife saw a video of me preaching. She goes, see, you always look angry. I'm not angry. This is just the way I look, okay? 
I promise you, I'm, I'm not angry. But I am passionate about the truth of the Word of God. So here's the deal. The summary of this first part is this. When the church is attacked by Satan from the outside of the body, we see the church come together in unity, in prayer, in praise. I wrote prayer twice. I knew what I was saying. Though. Prayer and praise and preaching. And we see the members walking in or filled with the Spirit, caring for one another in one heart and one soul. So that's the first attack. Now, the second attack is this. Satan wants to attack from the inside. I better get back over here to Acts. If you look, in, in, we'll begin in chapter 5 here where we're going to pick up. I'm just saying that till I find my place. He says in verse 1, he says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Ananias never answers. The question, though, is this. Why did that happen? I want you to picture something, and I want you to think about this. Picture the church there, walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit of one heart and one soul. I mean, their mind was together. They're caring for one another. Why would you ever want to leave that? Think about your own individual life when you're praying and you're reading and, man, you're, you're resisting the temptations. You're, you're giving yourself to the things of God and there's such joy in your heart. And then that one day, that one morning, you wake up. You're groggy, you're tired, and instead of getting in the Word, you, you get on the computer. Instead of going to Matthew Henry's commentaries, you go to this website. And all of that fellowship you had with the Lord is destroyed. All of that harmony in the church, all of that unity. What is it that happens in the body of Christ that all of a sudden something changes and Satan fills our heart? Now you're saying, well, wait a second, Ron. We can't be... Possessed by Satan. I didn't say Satan possessed you. Or in, and dwelt in you. However you want to say that. But let me tell you this. When temptation comes. And you don't resist. And you give in to the temptation. And you start entertaining the thoughts. Satan fills your heart. You are now no longer yielding to the Holy Spirit and under the Spirit's control, but now you are yielding to Satan and his lies. And now you're allowing yourself to be controlled by what Satan says you should have. What do you think happened here with Ananias? I mean, can't you imagine? I mean, this is all just in my mind a little bit, but just play along with me, okay? Here's Barnabas. He comes up. I mean, Barnabas is this Philip guy. He's just always smiling. He's oblivious when people don't like him. 
Peter, I sold this land, and man, would you take it and distribute it to everybody that needs need? And they're like, man, Joseph, you're so awesome. Everybody, this guy is such an encouragement to the body. And they kind of put the light on him. And man, his new name is Barnabas. Can't you just see it? And Ananias, you're always encouraging people. How come they never saw you doing that? I know, I don't get it. I was encouraging people right when he walked up. Hang in there, brother. They didn't say nothing about me. That should have been my nickname. Now, I don't know how it happened. But here's what I know. They were looking and they saw these things. And they saw people like praising God. Do you think this doesn't happen in the church? Yeah. You think it happens amongst preachers? You're a preacher and you hear somebody going, Oh man, that guy's the best preacher ever. Didn't say that about me. And what happens? Envy gets in. Pride gets in, doesn't it? Those things get in, don't they? They work on us. Instead of being in the place of Psalms 133, where it says how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And he describes it as, as the oil running down the head of Aaron onto his beard, onto the collar of his clothes, or the dew that's, that's coming on Mount Hermon. He says the blessings are there forevermore. Great grace upon the church. Now we've let something enter into our heart. Nobody can see it. But God knows every detail of it. Now let me tell you something like this. You can say, well, okay, so Satan attacks from the outside and Satan attacks from the inside. I want you to know this. Satan's attack from the inside is much, much, much worse than attacks from the outside. The attacks from the outside brings the church together in unity. When it comes from within the body, it causes division. That's what it causes. It causes these things. Look at this. I'm going to turn over here to James real quick. Well, first, we'll just do this. Where, where does it actually start with? Where does it start with? Well, look over here in, in John, First John, chapter 2, verse 15. John says this. Do not love the world, nor or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So what gets in? I mean, think about it. I'll back up all the way to the Garden of Eden. Same, right there. The temptation was right there. They, they saw with their eyes. They, they felt it. They tasted it. And what they want, you can be like God. What did Satan tempt Jesus with? Look at everything out here. I'll give it to you. Oh, you can feel it all. It'll all be yours. And I heard a sermon that was last Sunday. Gosh, it was so good, man. Jay Jones. When Adam fell, when he gave into it, man fell into this sin, called original sin. We're all guilty of the sin of Adam. 
But when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness after fasting 40 days, Jay put it like this. He says, he just pictures for this moment in heaven, all heaven is silent and they're watching. Is he going to partake or is he going to resist? And for our sake, he resisted the temptation. It starts there. We have this lust of the eye, this lust of the flesh, this pride of life. But then look over here in this. I want to show you something. Look in in First Corinthians chapter chapter one. This is what happens to a church. In verse ten, Paul says this. In First Corinthians chapter one, verse ten, he says, "I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree." And that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and of the same judgment. Do you know what division is? The word die means two, and vision is vision. It's more than one. It's, we're, we're seeing things differently. We're, do, we're going different directions. But he wants us to be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. He said, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Think about this for a moment. I think we're all guilty here today of falling into that category right there. Oh, I like so-and-so. I don't like him. I like this. This guy's the best. No, I don't like him very much. He's dry and stuff. Division in the church. And those people that say, we're of Christ, I don't, don't think too much. Don't. There are those guys like, oh, just, I'm just of the Lord. And they got their own camp though. They're, they're part of a division also. Look what he says in James. And, and Justin's been preaching through this and doing a, a fantastic job. Look over here in James chapter 3 real quick. Three, Starting in verse 13, look what he says. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now listen to this next part. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be False to the truth. That's exactly what Ananias and Sapphira have just done. He said, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but, but this is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and Peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Where are you at today, church? I just want you to look at your own self. I want you to look at your heart. You don't want to be that guy, do you? You don't want to be that person. I, I, you know, there's that, always that curious thing. I wonder what they're saying about me. Part of it, we want to hear them saying wonderful things about us. It's terrible when you got a cell phone and you forgot to actually hang up after a phone call, isn't it? That's happened to a few people. 
I just can't stand them, you know. <laughs> I can hear you. Uh, yeah. I want to ask you a question. Are you holding on to sin today? Can you look around and and consider everyone better than yourself? Are you being filled with the Spirit, or are you allowing Satan to fill your heart today? You see, the summary of this is this. Sin in the church left unchecked will bring division in every evil work. It's going to bring shame and reproach. And this is the worst part of it. It's going to bring shame and reproach to the name of Jesus Christ. So what do we do? How do we deal with this? Now, this next section is is really tough. People don't even like reading this section. Look what it says. It says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Now, now Peter is asking Ananias this. What he's doing is this. He he says, here's here's opportunity. You had opportunity to, to not do this. You had opportunity to turn around from your sinful plan. Now, now, here's why it shows we're not in this commune. He says, while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? He's saying, and Ananias, you didn't even have to sell the land. You didn't. Nobody told you to sell it. Now, if the Holy Spirit did, and I think that's where the lie to the Holy Spirit comes in. He says, you, he says but then he goes, he says, and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Saying this. You didn't have to give it all. Just because Barnabas did didn't mean you had to. You could have simply sold the land for $50,000. Says, I want to give 10000 of it to the church. They just said, praise the Lord. It's your land. It's your money. Do with it as you want. It's very possible that they actually gave more money than Barnabas did. They could have sold their land, gave some of it, and it actually could have been more money, and it looked so much good. They want they were filled with pride. They were filled with envy. But he goes on and he says this Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? He says, You've not lied to man, but to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard it. I believe he lied to the Holy Spirit, because I think his his thing was, we're going to give all. Now, here's a question people ask all the time. Was Ananias a believer? Was he not a believer? Well, I, I think he was a believer. But look what happened, yeah. Yeah, that That happened. Has, has anything like this ever happened before? Yep, it did. You remember hearing about a man named Achan in, in Joshua? Joshua chapter 7. God says, don't take of any of the gold. Don't take anything. But he saw a piece of gold. He saw a garment. And he took it and hid it in his tent. And when he was found out, they, God told Joshua to stone him. The whole camp stoned him, his wife, his children, his animals, everything he had, and they stoned him until there was a heap of stones piled over his dead body. Judgment of God on sin. What about, anybody remember a guy named Uzzah? 
They were carrying the ark. Man, there was a celebration going on. David's bringing the ark home. He's bringing it to Jerusalem. They're singing and dancing and shouting. They hit a pothole, and Uzzah just, he don't want the ark to fall, so he, he just steadied and puts his hand on it, and God struck him dead immediately. And you read that story, and you're just going, you're like, David, you're like, what just happened? Well, God told them exactly how to transport the ark of the covenant, and they didn't do it that way. God would have been perfectly just to destroy every man there. Why did it bring such great fear upon people? Well, let me ask you this. Why does it bring great fear upon you when you read it? I can Listen, let me just finish this real quick. He goes, it says, it says, Great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and they wrapped him up and carried him out and they buried him. And, and after an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. So here she comes. I don't know where she's been. And this was a bizarre scene. I mean, the guy just dies. They come in, they wrap him up, they take him out and bury him. I don't know how the wife doesn't know. I guess culture was a lot different, okay? So she's been out shopping with the money, I guess. Comes in three hours later, and Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Opportunity to repent. He's simply saying this, Ananias or Sapphira... Did you did y'all sell the money for this much? I mean, did you sell the land for this much money? All she had to do is say, "No, Peter, we didn't. We just said that." But she says, "Yeah, yeah, we sold it for that much." Opportunity to turn from her sin right there. And Peter said to her, he says, and I can just almost see feel Peter here this anguish. How is it that you have agreed together? To test the spirit of the Lord. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in, found her dead. They carried her out, buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Great fear twice. We read in this passage. Now, can you imagine seeing this? Shell's like, Blake, whatever you do, don't go up there and lay anything down at Peter's feet. It's not going well today. Do you see what's really going on? Do you think God is serious about sin? Do you think God is serious about his people being dead to sin, being the people, the holy people of God that he has called us to be. Now, I'm going to say this. There's not a person in this room that is exempt from being a little bit lax in this right here. And I'm not picking on anyone. But as you're hearing these words, I'll guarantee you in your mind, you're thinking, I need to do better. Look what, he, look what happens here. Um, look in Romans 6. This is what the Word of God says to us. Romans 6. This is, this is coming on the hills of justification. How we're justified. How it's not going to be by law. It's not going to be by works. God's grace abounds even over all the sins. And they ask the question, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. God forbid. 
How can we who died to sin still live in it? That's verses 1 and 2. And then 14 through 16 says this. No, wait. I'm sorry. 12 to 16. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members of God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. You're not to present your members. You're not to present yourself to to sin. You are to present yourself as alive unto God for righteousness. Anything less than that, we're not going to have unity. We're not going to have peace. You are not going to have fellowship with God. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says this, 14 through 16, he says, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Do you understand that in in sanctification, that's the part where we're striving to be holy like Him, okay? Sanctification has three parts. There's an initial sanctification. It's a monergistic work of God. It's God doing it alone. You have no part in it. God saves you. He sets you apart as holy. Okay? The second part is a synergistic work with God in you. We pray all the time, Lord, help me to be like Jesus. The only reason you're no more like Jesus than you are is because of you. That's it. And if that sounds harsh, think about it. I want to read more. Do you read more? Well, the office was on. Or if your Kenny Parks and Rec was on. Oh, we're going to watch this all night long. We've read the whole seven seasons. We're going to watch it in fast forward. But I want to be so much more like Jesus. Really? I might be a little bit angry right now, but not at you. This is actually at me. Here's my biggest one. I'm tired. I'm too tired. I want to be like Jesus, but I'm tired. I heard about a guy in the church we used to belong to, which was a cult. And this guy wanted to read the Word of God. He might have actually been a believer, just in the wrong thing. And you know what? Every time he started to read, you know what? He fell asleep. He just, he couldn't start reading. He would just be asleep. So what he did, he went down to his cellar, he took a light, he took his shoes and his socks off, because if you've ever been in them old musky cellars, it's damp and it's cold. But when he did that, he was able to stay awake and read the Word of God. I am so thankful that Jesus didn't say, Father, it's just too much. 
He's in the garden praying. It's just too much. I want, I want to save them, but it's just too much. Do you understand that all that's on the line here for this church to be a functioning body with one another, but more importantly, in Christ, there needs to be unity. There needs to be a, a common vision. And that is about taking this, equipping, discipling, strengthening, encouraging, exhorting to what? To grow in Christ. To take the gospel. But I'm scared. I'll show you how not to be scared. I'll show you how to be scared and still do it. But Lord, help us that we would strive for unity. Is your little thing you have a problem with somebody? Is it worth not having unity in the church. Oh, keep in mind, go home today and just get off to yourself and start saying out loud the sins that you have been guilty of. And then say, um, I can't say this, any, I just can't say this strong enough. Unity is a must because Christ is worthy. I remember my mom back there. We fought all the time, not me and her. I drove her crazy, but me and my brother fought. I was the older brother, he was the younger brother. There was a pecking order, right? Well, that guy, sometimes he just didn't get that. Well, actually, it was because I was a bully, Okay. That's just part of being an older brother sometimes. But I remember one time, we, we got in this fight, and I said, you gave me that shirt. He wanted it back, so the fight was going to be on. So she'd had enough one day. Now, as a parent, it, it rips your heart out to see your children fighting, right? But this day was weird. She shoves us outside. Now, my mom's a very calm, meek, very much an introvert. This woman's out in the yard shoving us into each other going, fight! You want to fight? Now, the look on my brother's face was not the look on mine. This was going to be bad for him. Thank the Lord that I was like, I ain't doing this. <laughs> this would be a real beat down. Maybe not today, but then it would have. It's a horrible thing. In a home, when you see your children, they don't even talk to one another. You look at this judgment right here, and you say, well, man, this seems awfully harsh. You know what? You let this stuff stay in the church, and you're going to wind up with a church just full of contention and strife and all this. People say, well, that seems harsh that God killed them. Isn't the church supposed to be a hospital? We're supposed to bring those people in. Okay. But go to the hospital. Somebody's got a deadly, contagious disease. You know what they don't let them do? They don't let them run amok in the hospital, coughing and sneezing on everyone. They quarantine them. So what do we do? What, what is this teaching the church? And I'll try to be brief. Although at this point, if you said, man, I've got to get out of here, I'd think there's something wrong with you. So how does the church deal with unrepentant, brazen sin? See, that's what God is showing us in this verse. God, this is the first time God is, we're seeing sin in the church. 
A sin to a, to a magnitude that it must be dealt with. And God put him to death. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I'm going to steal some material from George May. Probably help me out for running short on prep time by going to the conference. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. Now, we're talking about sin in the church, right? We're talking about this church that they have favorite preachers. They're, they're arrogant and who, who's, got the, who's the greatest spiritual guy here? Whose spiritual gift tops all the others? All, they're, going to, they're suing each other at the court system. There's all kinds of division and problems in Corinth. It's always find it funny when you go to Missouri or Mississippi, have an aunt and uncle that go to church. It's Corinth Baptist Church. Who wants to name your, your church that? It might be fitting. I don't know. He says, you're arrogant. He says, listen to this. He says, ought you not rather to mourn? This is why I think when Peter confronted them, I think there was anguish in his heart. When there's sin in the church, it ought to make us angry that sin has infected the church, that sin has gotten inside one of our brothers and sisters, but we ought to be mourning over the fact that they are entangled in sin, especially when it's unrepentant sin. Some people don't even know what church discipline is. They have no clue. Like, what are you talking about? We're just supposed to love each other. I was at the conference this weekend. Do you know it's more difficult to become a member in the Elks Lodge than it is to be a part of this church? And we actually make you go through courses and things like this. Do you know that if you act unruly there, they will kick you out? Do you know it's harder to join a gang than it is to join a, a, a typical church? you know how you join gangs most of the time? Well, about seven or eight of them just beat the stuffing out of you. The person wanting to be a part of this for community will allow people to, I mean, they'll, they're all fighting it just a beat down. But they're saying, I'm willing to do that to be a part. Why are churches so filled up with unregenerate people? Because churches have got away from teaching the Word of God. They've got away from church discipline. They've got away from dealing with sin. So you know what? The best place for somebody to be and just be accepted no matter how I want to live is in a church. Because we're just all about love here, right? Yes, but biblically. So he goes on and he says this. He said, we need to be mourning. Let, let him who's done this deed be removed from among you. We don't want it to infect. Listen to what he goes on and says. He says, for though I'm absent in the body, I'm present in spirit. And, and, is, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such things. Wait a second. What about that 10th commandment, 11th commandment, thou shalt not judge? You know, Matthew 7, judge not. It's all in context, church. We don't condemn people. If you read on through chapter 7, you're going to read where we are to judge. We're to look at the lives of these people, to test them. Paul says, I've already judged this situation. He says, remove him from you. And he says this, he says, 
When you're assembled, verse 4, when you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present and in the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan. Why? For the destruction of the flesh. Why? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Do you know what church discipline really is for? It is for the restoring of the unrepentant sinner to the fellowship and to Christ. That's what it's for. It's never about putting people out. Like that's the goal. The goal is to put them out that it does not infect the body. That's what it's for. That's why God put them to death. That's why fear. But isn't it amazing how quickly that fades? How we forget things. He goes on and he says, Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you, re- as you really are in leaven. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. And I'm not going to read any more there. Christ died because of our sins. We are to be dead to sin. When sin calls our name, when Satan is tempting us from the temptations, whatever it be, reject it, resist it. Be like Joseph, not like David. When Joseph was tried, when she tried to seduce Joseph, he ran. David was not where he was supposed to be and fell into sin. No one is exempt from being that guy. No one is. I'm just going to say this. If, you, if, if, you're, if you've got sin in your life, whether it's personal, struggle with lust, whether it's, whether it's with somebody here, whether it's somebody... Listen, to the degree of where it is, you need to make it right. If you're having a problem with somebody here, make it right. Go to that person. If they don't know nothing about it, then ask God to forgive you and get, get over it. Don't go make something worse. There are steps to church discipline in Matthew eighteen fifteen through 20. And I'll try to be brief. I know our attention spans are not wired for hour-long sermons anymore, but 15 through 20 says, If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, then take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What's he saying? If you, if you got a problem, go to that person. Don't come to me and tell me about Go to that person. If you can't get a resolve, go, look, I'm coming back and I'm bringing these guys. You know, we're going to talk about it. We sit down, we go, hey, man, if, if he doesn't listen to, to, to those He says, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And one last place in 1 Timothy chapter 5. You might be up here saying, well, yeah, but you're, you're one of the elders here. I mean, you're going to be doing this. Well, wait a second. Elders are included here. In chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, beginning at verse 17, 
He says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, that's something we'll talk about at another time, but he's saying you need to, you need to, to honor them, and, and part of that is by support. But then he says, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. He says now, he says, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, listen to this. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. You may be saying, hey, I I wasn't bargaining for this when I came to this church. I like what George May said yesterday. Don't be part of a church that's not going to kick you out if you're in unrepentant sin. Now, if you could say, well, you know, and I've said this a lot of times, well, church discipline doesn't work like it's supposed to because division in the body of Christ. We've got churches all up and down in Ada and 70-something, 80-something churches, right? So if we practice church discipline here and person won't repent and we got to put them out of the fellowship, they'll run right down the road, they'll badmouth us and they'll say, well, come on in here. And I'm going to tell you, if it happens, I'm going to call that pastor. And I'm going to say, I just want you to know what's going on and they're under church discipline and you need to send them home. That's, that, that will happen. Now, here's the thing. Because you got people that don't know the Word of God and they're holding positions called pastor, and they're going to say, come on over here and we'll just love you. That does not remove this church from being obedient to the Scriptures. We're still going to be obedient to what God has told us to do. Whether that's you or whether that's us as elders, we're going to be faithful in practicing this, because here's the thing. It comes back to this. The question to you is this today. Are you filled with the Spirit? Or are you allowing Satan to fill your heart? And you're giving in to that. Isn't it amazing? I heard an old guy say this one time. He said, the biggest nation in the world is the imagination. Isn't it amazing how you can see something, somebody's talking and they didn't invite you, and usually you're over there and what well, must be talking about you. And by the time you drive home, this thing, whole thing is developed into a, a, a coup against you and you developed your whole fight plan and how you're going to do this. And, and actually all they were talking about is where we're going to go eat. And hey, where's, where's Ron? I thought he was coming. No, he's on the way home figuring all this out. Can you imagine being in the, in the early church here and never dealing with these things? You see, we have no excuse. We, we may go through these things for a first time as a body here, but we have the Word of God. We have these examples that we can look back. I want you to know I love you. My prayers are for you. I want to see our church 
be in unity of the same mind, one heart, one soul, with the same goal, the commission of Christ, to go preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. God bless each of you.